Hi guys, you're watching Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Trent or listening if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. I'm really excited to be here today with a very special guest, Lou Perez. He's the author of the book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, and a hilarious comedian who I've performed with. Lou, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for... Uh you know, setting this up, taking the time. I know we're, we're on different coasts and, you know, we have different time zones going on and, and all that. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm really excited to have you on. So you are a comedian. So before we get into the book, tell us a little bit about your comedy journey. I know everyone has a different journey, how they got into this crazy um, stand-up comedy business. So how did you get started? Yeah, I actually, I, um, I had always wanted to do stand-up but I didn't get the nerve to do it until I was like, I think 27 or 28. And um, so up until that point, my uh, uh, journey in comedy was, was through improv and sketch comedy. Uh, so in New York, that was at, at NYU with um, a group called the Wicked Wicked Hammercats. And then uh, over to the UCB theater with uh, the Hammercats and then a, uh, my two-man duo, Greg and Lou. So was stand-up your first love, though? Like, you wanted to do stand-up initially, but you were just too scared to go out on your own and do stand-up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think uh, when I was younger, like, I, I I absolutely loved George Carlin and just had, like, you know, this, you know, sort of fantasy of, I guess, one day, you know, being able to get up there and do it. And um, I guess, yeah, I just kept putting it off and putting it off. I, I didn't have the uh, the guts to do it until, um, until, like I said, like, you know, I had, like, a you know, a few years of performing under my belt. And then um, I finally got up at uh, the UCB used to have a, um, I think it was a once a month stand up night. Uh, it, was, it was kind of in like one of the late slots and it was called Gut Bucket. And it was hosted. It was <laughs> <Okay>. ho- <laughs> yeah, Gut Bucket. Um, and uh, it was hosted by Pete Holmes. Uh, Pete Holmes hosted it. And a number of guys like Kumail uh, was, you know, were there and Matt McCarthy and, you know, just kind of like a crew who went on to, you know, really big and, and successful things. You know, they, uh, they were at gut bucket. It was the first time that I'd ever gone up to do, um, to do stand up, And uh, I was, uh, I was so nervous that I had the microphone in my hand and I was wrapping the cord like kind of around my arm. You know? <laughs> okay. So it could that could have been cool looking if I was like in a band. You know, like I'm like <laughs> in a band. I have I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gripping the mic and like wrapping this around. And then at one point the sound went out and I because like, you were wrapping the cord. <laughs> yeah but i didn't think so i thought it. i thought that they like cut my mic or something like that so i sort of made an offhand comment to the guy in the booth like oh what's up well you know what's up am i saying blah 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 you know am i too edgy i forget what i said exactly and then i was like oh shit i yeah i i totally wrapped it too much i unplugged the mic yeah what a dumb move what a terrible move um so yeah so that so it was like that was the first time that um that i got i got up there and Pete Holmes was, was such a such a cool guy, such a real positive dude. We were uh, in an improv class uh, together, and um, uh, yeah, I know that there's a lot of controversy out there when it comes to like uh, rigging elections and stuff. But let, let's just say that uh, to get up at Gut Bucket, you had to put your name in a hat, and <laughs> um, and I'm I'm going to come out and say it, Pete Holmes. Uh, Pete Holmes rigged it so that I would definitely get up and be able, and be able to do three minutes of stand up. So 
uh, yeah, who knows if that didn't happen, you know, maybe we would be here a few more days into September or something like that. <laughs> like, like this, this particular date wouldn't happen. It would be a little further <laughs> off. So, um, you were watching George Carlin, you were having this kind of fantasy that you were going to be a stand-up comedian. Um, what was your attraction to stand-up comedy? Was it being able to speak your voice, speak your truth, be authentic, make a political message? Because George Carlin is a quite, you know, interesting stand-up. I mean, obviously he's considered one of the, you know, original gods of comedy, but what attracted you specifically to the art of stand-up? Um, well, I think I, I was always a funny kid and, um, you know, would always like make my friends laugh and, and whatnot. And I think, uh, you know, growing up like in the in the 80s and 90s, stand up comedy was just all over the place, you know, on, on TV, um, whether, you know, it was HBO specials, uh, you know, being growing up watching like Carlin and Deaf Comedy Jam and, uh, you know, even like in the uh, in the late 80s, uh, when uh, when Andrew Dice Clay was was really big, uh, you know, me and my and my younger brother's you know, we would watch his, we would watch his stuff. And, and my two younger brothers in particular, they're, they're twins. Uh, they, they don't look alike, but, but they're fraternal twins. Uh, and, you know, just imagine like these five or six year old kids repeating <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay jokes, you know, word for word, you know, all the nursery rhymes and, and stuff and getting a, and getting a laugh out of, uh, out of Lou, adults. Your parents are, were pretty socially liberal. <laughs> Well, yeah, man, like, I don't we, think I would have been allowed. I don't think I was allowed to watch any of that at that age. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about like, well, we had. Uh, well, those <laughs> I'm all the at time, five or six. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm born. I was born in '82, so uh, I think Andrew Dice Clay made like his uh, his debut on like uh, Danger, like Rodney Dangerfield had a program in like '87. So, I'm just going to clarify really quick for the audience because mm -hmm. my podcast is not a comedy podcast. It's actually um, just out of the box thinkers. So for okay. those of you who don't know, Andrew Dice Clay is a famous comedian. Um, and in the 80s, he is known. He was known as a famous blue comedian. So he's quite dirty. Yeah. So that's kind of why I'm like, oh, blue. <laughs> no, it's, it's he was considered it, quite raunchy. It's insane. Like when I look back at the stuff that I was exposed to as a kid and a lot of it, you know, because of illegal cable. You know, so okay. like when you have a, an illegal cable box, you know, uh, you know, at the time, it's like you're able to see all, you know, all this wild stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so I think that, you know, that definitely has an impact on, um, on on someone, you know, growing up for sure. Yeah. So you grew up in the world of Dice Clay, George Carlin, you know, um, again, Eddie for those Murphy, who, Eddie yeah, Murphy. Eddie. Yeah, so again, for those who don't know who we're talking about, because. Actually, Lou, I was one of those people who didn't know what we were talking about. I was not a comedy fan growing up as, you know, I was very censored. My parents were very, very strict. So I didn't watch any of that stuff growing up. Um, these are comedians that were just saying pretty much, you know, Eddie Murphy's comedy special was called Raw. So I'm sure the right. listeners and watchers can assume what that was about if you haven't seen it. And, um, you know, George Carlin was a truth speaker. You know, he has this famous dirty words. Uh, where he kind of like breaks the federal, you know, the FCC or whatever. So um, these are very outspoken comics. Andrew Dice Clay was considered very blue, very outrageous. So that's what you grew up with. And I think, you know, even though I did not grow up with that, even though we're similar in age, 
I think that is what comedy should be about was expressing yourself, expressing your truth without censorship and, and freedom of speech. And even if someone doesn't agree, because most people probably didn't agree with what George Carlin was saying. It was really radical at the time. Yeah. And, and I think too, I, I, I think there's, there's so many different things that you can get out of comedy and depending on what kind of comedians you, you, you want to see too. And, and I was really fortunate to, you know, grow up at a time where, like I said, like there was there was stand up everywhere. We also had just amazing sketch comedy everywhere, too. Uh, you know, obviously there was Saturday Night Live, but then there was uh, the kids in the hall in living color. Um, uh, Mad TV was 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 pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty good. And it's like everywhere you look, there was there was comedy. You know, there were there was really interesting things happening. And, uh, you know, you were able to have really raw blue comics you know and you were also able to have you know people who you know were doing more you know observational humor you know and there was a place for for everything you know, no matter what no matter what you wanted and um i i find that you know with with the comedy that that i do uh i i don't know it, it gives me an opportunity to um be a little naughty you know to be even a, a little dangerous like I'm not, I'm not a thrill seeker. I don't, I don't go skydiving. I don't, I don't ride a motorcycle. I'm, I'm my hair is really long now. And, you know, maybe, I'll, <laughs> maybe I can actually put it in a ponytail. So maybe, you know, maybe I'm going to reach that, that stage where I, where I re-pierce my ear and I, you know, I wear a ponytail and all that, but it's like where I really have my, you know, my adventurous streak is with what I it's yeah, it's on yeah. stage and also what kind of uh, what I write and what I produce uh, in, you know, in the realm of uh, sketch comedy and commentary. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where I have like, you know, my most my most fun, the, you know, the the idea of getting up in front of a of a room full of people and delivering a joke that you may have done may have been doing for years. and for them it's the first time that they hear it and they and they laugh like it's the freaking first time that they hear it i mean that is such a cool you know experience you know it is and just so you know i think i told you this last time i saw you but i just watched the george carlin documentary on hbo and you do very creepily look like a young george carlin <laughs> i know i kind of look like george you're starting to morph into him so we'll see um, my my, okay. my back is is kind of cool. oh, this is me george carlin yeah. well if uh, if i ever have a sketch where i need to cast a george carlin you can play the young george carlin thank you thank you <laughs> I, I i i say that i want to be a uh, george carlin with muscles that, that's what i that's what i want to be and i wish i got to get back into shape because i'm I let myself go a little bit. <laughs> so your book just came out this year. It's called yeah. That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And it's kind of a reaction to this offensive culture that is kind of the opposite of what you grew up with and what I grew up with. And I just want you to talk a little bit more about that because maybe some people don't really know what's going on with freedom of speech and with censorship. And um, I also want to discuss uh, my own experiences, which we've talked about offline before. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had a uh, an opportunity in writing a book uh, to look back on like twenty years of doing comedy, which is just kind of insane. And and it's like if I didn't stop to look back, you know, it's like I'd wake up one day and be like, wait a minute, how long have I been doing comedy? This doesn't <laughs> this doesn't make this doesn't make any sense. Um, 
And uh, a big reason uh, what what sort of was the catalyst for this book was a, a piece that I wrote for the uh, Wall Street Journal uh, at the end of uh, 2020, where um, I was writing in response to an academic paper that was done, basically a study on the um, the growth of right wing echo chambers on YouTube. Okay. And it's like, it's like, this is like, whoa, this is an academic study. You had people from like Harvard involved with this thing. And um, it, in the study, if you go all the way to the, uh, to the end of it, there's sort of uh, uh, you know, a, a list of all these different YouTube channels and all these different categories. So there's like left and right and far left and far right. And when I looked at the, the far right section, uh, listed there was we the internet tv which was the program that i was uh, a the head writer and producer of for like five years and i'm also like the face of it so uh you're yeah. like whoa yeah yeah it's like whoa <laughs> you're and, like and, when did i get radicalized <laughs> yeah it, it's, it, exactly exactly and, and a number of friends had had shared it with me and uh my my, my friend noam uh dwarman who uh is, owns the uh the comedy seller uh, he shared it with me and he said, you, you got to do like a responses. You should make a video or something. And at first I was like, I was like, ah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of wacky, you know, goofy, whatever. Um, but then so you I were start... cited in the academic study. Yeah. 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 The, the, uh, the channel, the, you know, the, the, the brand that I am, you know, linked to forever. And, Before we uh, move forward, do you feel that you're a far right comedian? No, I, I don't no, think so. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and and that's and and uh, we we'll, we'll get to that. Like you know, the, the whole like you know idea of of, of you know the the far. If you right identify thing. with that, that's totally fine. But I just wanted to clarify that no, you do no, not no, identify don't. with the far right, and you were shocked by the study. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. shocked. And what made it, uh, what ended up getting me upset about it, and was like, well, I really do need to respond to this, was that I had just lost my job uh, in in October. And this study, I think I read it like in, in November and, uh, my, 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 I'm, I'm married. We had our, uh, our first baby uh, at the time and I just lost my job and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm going to be sending out my resume and trying to get gigs. And now, you know, they're like, what have you been doing for five years? Well, I've been with, we, the internet TV. Oh, the far right program. Yeah. Uh, we, the, we, the internet TV. And, um, you know, so that was something that was like, you know, I got to I have to respond to this because uh, the label far right. I, I don't know what it what it means, like when you hear it. But when I hear it, I, I immediately think of like, OK, you have like Ku Klux Klan, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, t the, 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 you know, those idiots marching with tiki torches. You're like, I'm Latino. <laughs> right. Th there might be some, you know, far right, you know, Latin Latinos that, that, you know, maybe like, you know, uh, you know, Franco in Spain. I mean, he's a legit, he's a legit fascist. Um, but, but it, it's, it's something where, you know, a lot of these labels just become shorthand for whether or not you're a good person or, or, or worthy of being yeah. a, you know, person of uh, you know, losing your personhood. There's a lot of moral gesturing online. There's a lot of, um, you know, that type of stuff. So just so you know, I have actually been part of something similar, not an academic study. Um, I don't know if I communicated this story to you. I might have, I, we talked quite a bit, you know, um, when we performed together last about the topic of your book and, and the related topics, but I did a podcast with a friend of mine who I love 
Um, and she had said some controversial things online. And so I was associated with her and became part of a cyber mob and people were calling me up for all sorts of things. And um, none of these people know me in person. None of these people know anything about my standup. And they were finding things online that I had said years ago and taking it out of context. And I was also, I don't know if I was vilified as a far right, but I was vilified as a, um, basically an enemy to the Asian American community, which is ironic because the reason that I got into entertainment was to become a positive role model for Asian women. Um, I volunteer with Boys and Girls Club. Um, the list of things that I do uh, for the community and within the Asian American community, my dad, um, who's passed away, was the editor of the Vietnamese newspaper in New Orleans. I mean, it, the list is um, very long and very, um, the activism that I've done for the Asian American community is very long. And all of that was thrown out the window and I was thrown under a cyber mob truck and run over multiple times for four days. <laughs> Um, because of this one clip and um, because a, a woke internet person um, who had a very large following, you know, branded me as an enemy of the state, basically. <laughs> what, what did, um, uh, so, oh, so you were like far right adjacent or enemy adjacent. I think that's how, <laughs> how they put it. How, what, what, what did, what did the person say? If, if you can repeat it, you know, so I will this, repeat is, it. it's, it's this very, is you quoting, you're this quoting. Is, it's it's yeah. very innocent. It's very innocent. So um, the comedian friend that I did the podcast with is Esther Koo, and she oh, okay. um, is quite hated in the Asian American community because she had a joke that Asian men have small penises, um, and it, it's a joke, and, it, and and she's been vilified quite a bit for it, and um, I love Esther, and I'm not going to speak for her, but I do think she does antagonize the trolls a little bit online, um, and so that, you know, inflames things. I don't have that viewpoint. I've had many Asian boyfriends in the past. I don't have with any hu with huge dicks and <laughs> just, just huge, massive. <laughs> yeah, you can say anything on this podcast. Um, I'll edit yeah. out anything that's inappropriate. But I've had many Asian boyfriends. You know, I'm a, an advocate to the community. Um, the clip that went viral was a clip, a 30 second clip called "How to Get an Asian Girlfriend." And it was a clip with me and her. And in the clip, we just joke that, you know, you have to trim your toenails. That's the clip. That's it. And um, this Asian American male who is an alleged woke activist retweeted it and said, this is exactly what's wrong, you know, with our community or whatever. And uh, we both got thrown under the bus. Again, I think Esther antagonizes a little bit more. I uh -huh. have never said anything derogatory at all. They found an old tweet that I had tweeted five or six years ago um, where I said, oh, my iPhone just uh, auto-corrected one of my sentences to the word chink. What's it trying to tell me? And they said, you know, I'm the type of person, person that uses chink, you know, and makes fun of it and makes light of it. And it just went on and on for days. And um, I was bullied and harassed severely to the point of depression. But, you know, people don't, care about that you know it's like if you have said something that is quote-unquote offensive I think people will take it to that level now online it's really scary yeah well well, well for one I, I I mean I just have to say if you know you're if like one of the worst things you can say about you know one's community is that you know they need to trim their toenails it's like, <laughs> it's like man you guys are doing something really well like wow you guys are you guys are killing it that's amazing Oh, you know, some, something that I was wondering about is, um, you know, when, when you hear like the Asian community, uh, it, like this, it, it, it almost uh, makes it seem like Asians are a monolith. And, and I know that 
um, you know, percentage wise, it's it's a pretty you know small percentage of the population of the United States. But the idea that like somehow Vietnamese people and Koreans and Filipinos and Japanese and the Chinese all get along like they, <laughs> exactly you know, they, they, they just, hate among each other <laughs> yeah, yeah you know it's um i don't know it's it's so weird like when these you know coalitions are built and i'm like you know i'm, I'm not a I'm, I'm not a historian but <laughs> the chinese and japanese have a really rough past with each other um so the you know so the idea of like so does uh, my you know, the vietnamese you know my dad's oh, yeah. um, home was actually occupied by japanese soldiers during world war ii and you know people in my family were tortured so wow. yeah it's it's pretty it's a pretty deep history but it's just it just was sad it was sad that something we said was taken so out of context and it was sad that my association with someone who says something controversial meant I was a controversial person because anyone who knows me in real life and comedians that know me know that I'm pretty like tame and not that controversial as a comedian or as an online personality. And um, Esther is, she's, she's very, um, I would say provocative, but mm-hmm. you know, I have friends that are provocative, provocative. That doesn't mean I agree with them or that I am them or an extension of them. I have relatives that have different political viewpoints as me. I have you know, I always got really upset when people would say, well, Ivanka Trump needs to disown her dad. I'm like, that's her dad. Like right. my parents had completely different political views as me. I'm not going to disown them. I have to live with them for the rest of my life. So I think people are a bit extreme, but I want to talk about your book because it's so important sure, sure. and what, what you're doing is so important. And, and that stud, the study and the book and, and talking about what's going on with people getting offended and taking things too far, you know, I really want to talk about that and, and, and a little bit, you know, maybe give people a little sample. You don't have to read from it, but just talk more about the content of it for the listeners and viewers. Sure. Sure. Well, for, you know, for one, um, you know, sort of like what you're describing, uh, you know, people kind of um, questioning you or going after you for the relationships that you, that you have and that you maintain uh, it's very, it's very much like kind of like a cult, like uh, way of doing things where the idea is like, Oh, you, you have to separate yourself from your father um, because he, he, or, you know, he thinks terrible things or you have to separate yourself from, you know, from these friends that you've had. And I think that's one of the big things about cancel cultures. You have a bunch of, you know, horrible people who will never treat you right or never treat you well, telling you to disown people who have treated you well and who you love. Um, And it seems like, you know, you know, I call it, you know, kind of like cult like behavior. It's like, well, if they separate, if they can separate you from the people that you care about, well, then, you know, it's a lot easier to, uh, you know, to own you in different ways, you know, to isolate you. Um, And a lot of comedians have fallen into this thing. But I remember, uh, uh, what was it? uh, Shortly after um, Dave Chappelle's The Closer, uh, Oswald did like, I guess, a a stop, you know, he he, he did a- I'm not going to work with him or something, right? Yeah, yeah. He did a spot um, at Dave Chappelle's show and posted a picture of it. Like, you know, I've known my this guy for decades. And then I guess he got a lot of backlash. So then he followed that up with, I, I remember the picture. It's like him. It's like Patton Oswalt backstage, uh, you know, with, you know, the stereotypical mirror backstage with like the light bulbs going all around the the sides and him like with a right with a pad and a pen. And writing this thing about about Dave Chappelle, like basically, you, you know, uh, kind of, t- you know, taking, a, you know, taking it to his 
his so-called friend. And he said something along the lines of, I disagree with Dave that, you know, I want to see a world where trans people are safe. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. The idea that you were going to, that you were going to, to, to say that Dave Chappelle wants a world where trans people aren't safe. Like not only are you a, like, like you're, you're a terrible human being just for, just for saying that, but you're supposed to be a friend this guy that you've known for all this long for these years. And, you know, you see behavior like that. And it's just, it, it's just sickening on a, you know, on a, I don't know, just, a, just on a, on a human level. It's like to, to do that to a, to a friend. But yeah, I've seen that happen there. As you know, there's been multiple comedy controversies over the years and I've seen people get accused of things and yeah. their friends just, you know, drop them like lies. Like, Oh, I don't know. I don't associate with him. I don't talk to this person or I don't talk to her instead of being like, no, I know this person, I've known them for 15 years, they would never do this. Or this right. is being taken out of context, because there's such a fear that you will be rolled over by the media mob. And let me tell you, Lou, I have been misquoted on multiple articles of no consequence. So not even mm. controversial articles, just like me talking to a reporter or talking to someone about something in comedy, again, nothing of consequence and been severely misquoted. So the ability to take some, and not from a vicious or mean-spirited way, just misquoted, maybe they heard me wrong or they wrote it down wrong or they forgot, whatever. And, or maybe they're exaggerating for the story. I don't know. In, in three or four different articles, I've done one for Christian Science Monitor, one for um, a local newspaper, completely misquoted. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's it's very easy to take things out of context. And when you add on to that a system that is incentivizing clickbait, you know, right. it's very easy to take something out of context. So I, I really don't like this cancel culture and this throwing people under the bus because you're ruining a real person's life just to yeah. like have someone click on your article. The um, the one th the one thing that I, that I do like about cancel culture is what I describe as the career murder suicides. Okay. Where. where... <laughs> Where somebody either joins a mob or like whips up a mob to get somebody canceled. And then when they do that, people start digging through like their old posts <laughs> and then find a bunch of stuff and then they end up getting canceled, which is I, I, I forget. I forget the comedians names, but it's happened a few times like out in the public and it's almost like within days, you know, and it's um, I actually I, I, I do remember there. that happening recently to someone who I think called out someone who was a sexual assault person and then they found tweets of them being inappropriate or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's something like, you know, I'm not the type of person who is like, uh, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep this email that I have because one day I might be able to use it against this person. But it's just funny to see people out in the open, you know, virtue signaling and you know, talking like they're like, you know, they've been on the right side of history forever. And it's like, wait a minute. I remember you at my, I, I remember you at my mic at, at the open mic that I used to run, like saying the N word, you know, in a, in a joke. And you're like, a, you're a white dude. Like, you, yeah. you know, and that, that now happened, here you are. That's so. happened a lot with the black lives matter movement. So the rise of black lives matter, all of a sudden people that I I've known for years who were never advocates, of the black community. We're never advocates of any of this. You know, they're posting, you know, a fist and like solidarity right. and all of a sudden hashtag BLM. I'm like, yeah, just like you said, I'm like, I think I've heard you say the N word. I think I've heard you say stuff. You know, I remember doing a show with you. There's one comedian who I shall not bad mouth, but 
um, she, I did a gig with her in a black community, black room. And, you know, she made several comments to me behind the scenes about, oh, do you know where you are and about crime and, and associating black people with crime and asked me to walk her to her car. And now I see her regularly on, you know, Young Turks and other things talking about unfair mm. discrimination <laughs> against black people. And I'm like, wait a minute, weren't you saying like super racist stuff like five years ago? <laughs> well, one, one of the one of the most amazing things that uh, that that happened during the pandemic and it, it's uh it, it almost made it into my book um in, in the book i have a chapter called pandemic daddy where i, I talk about becoming a dad you know and, and you know sort of uh, congratulations by the way th thank you twice I'm a, I'm a daddy twice you're very um, um virile <laughs> yeah i think so yeah it works that's the thing like guys don't know if if what they're you know what they have works until you know they you know they find the right gal or the wrong gal i guess <laughs> I, I happen to find the right one um but uh during the pandemic uh, just to, to make the, the the story short uh it didn't make it into into the book but there was a a neighbor uh, we lived in a building and this white neighbor uh was uh, i guess coming home and he attacked a another neighbor on the street uh the oh, other wow. neighbor on the street was uh not wearing a mask uh on a bicycle in the bike lane in the street and this guy was so upset about it that he went he attacked him now uh the attacker was white the um, victim was black right and it was a big uh you know big hullabaloo and and and, and all that and then i went ah, you know what i want to go check out the attacker's facebook page and wouldn't you know, all, you know, on the wall, it's all about, uh, you know, I need, you know, uh, I am, I have white privilege. I need to uh, do better. I need to be an ally, Black Lives Matter and all that. And I'm wondering, wait, did this, did he, did that, wait, this stuff happened. He posted this stuff before he attacked a black guy on the street for the crime yeah. of not wearing a mask. Not only, not only a black man, a, a guy who lives in the neighborhood with a wife and a kid and all that. And it's just like, man, the, uh, you know, the person you are online or you, you want the world to, to see is so much different from the person that you actually are. And I guess something, you know, you could probably, you know, talk about like, you know, when it comes to, comes to comedy is, you know, uh, I'm really trying to go for me saying what's on my mind and what my thoughts are and, yeah. and, and being you know, being authentic, you know, uh, and of course, you know, that might change with, you know, you know, audiences and, and, and all that, like, oh, maybe I'm not going to do this material for, you know, this audience, they might not get it. Um, but I think that's something that's so important to me. So when, you know, when I see a lot of people who aren't being their authentic selves, um, you know, in a, in a way, uh, you know, a part of me, you know, might feel bad for them. You know, it's like, oh man, it sucks that you have to, that you're trying to play this game. And, um, and what I found is like, uh, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm playing this game, it's like, there's only, you know, so many, so many rounds I can do before I just like, oh, come on. I just gotta, I just gotta be myself. You know? <laughs> exactly. Like, it's oh, too exhausting to like put on a mask. Do you, no pun intended, not a right. COVID mask, a uh, <laughs> metaphorical mask, right. <laughs> a spiritual mask. Um, so let's talk about the vibe. So your book, obviously by the name, 
Um, do you feel that there's a tide turning or a shift in audiences or shift in the general, I guess, um, society where people are, are getting a little more offended or there's a culture of, of like this over cancel over wokeness? I know I felt a shift, but I'd like to hear your perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, de I mean, I wonder how much of it has to do with me living so much of my life online, you know, mm -hmm. so it's sort of there's a you know, there's a bubble that I'm kind of that I'm kind of in like, a far you know, right bubble. Uh, yeah, my, my, my far right bubble. Echo it, chamber. It is, is what it is, calls it. it is so warm in here because of all the burning crosses. Uh, they're just they're just burning, you know, just 24 seven. Um, but yeah, yeah. I wonder how much of it uh, is because of, you know, if you're if you're on Twitter, uh, if you're on if you're still on Facebook, um, you know, if 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 that's what I'm seeing just because of those are the the populations there. Um, but, you know, my, the, the, the subtitle of my book is on the death and rebirth of comedy. Ooh, so it's a book. It, I think so. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I really do. I, I think, I think there's, um, I think there's a lot of hope there. And I think a big reason why is kind of like what we're doing right now. I mean, you and I have the technology to be able to communicate, um, you know, anytime that we want and blast our stuff out into the, uh, into the universe. And there are audiences out there who, who want that and they want to support, you know, the, uh, you know, our voices. And I think that is something that is really going to save us. I think building those relationships between, uh, you know, the, the comedian or the artist and their audience and, you know, you know, making it clear, like we need each other, like we really need to be supporting each other. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to, you know, have an audience that is so, so supportive. Um, and, you, you know, you and I, we first performed together in Las Vegas at, at Freedom Fest. And it's like, you know, it's like, oh, those, are, those are my people. And they didn't ask for anything to be cut or edited or, or, you know, you know, not to, um, you know, for you, for you not to, you know, be who, who you really are. Um, and I think that's, that's uh, so important. I think, I think you're right. I think there is an undercurrent, but I also think there is an overcurrent, which I hope ends very soon because I've been doing stand-up comedy for 18 years. I've never in the history of my career been considered an edgy or offensive comedian. And mm. I have in the past two to three years, which is really scary. I've never been awed at, I've never had people you know, when you do a joke and people go, oh, I've never had that happen. And I have had that happen um, in the past few years. I've had people say that I am offensive, which I've never had wow. <laughs> in 18 years of doing stand-up. Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'm not a Bill Burr. I'm not a David Chappelle. I'm I do have a couple edgy jokes, but I'm, I'm pretty safe, I would say. I mean, I, I do have dirty material, which, um, you know, a lot of comedians do. I'm not a clean comedian by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I have um, been considered offensive in the last few years by audiences. And that's been something that was really shocking for me. Is that, is that, um, yeah. And then how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of a badass now, or is I it? I don't. Is, so I'm no? a people pleaser. I like to make people, <laughs> I do stand up to make people laugh and bring joy to their right. lives. I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, um, have no, you ever seen the I, movie Trolls where like the, 
Poppy the super positive troll. Yeah, no, no, no but I'm, I'm, I, I got to stop you there. I think that's awesome. Oh, okay. no, <laughs> no, no. I, I really do think that's awesome because I, I think, um, and I, I, I go into this like, like in my, in my book a little bit. You know, I think that's something that we have, we have, we have really forgotten about is the idea of, of bringing laughter and joy to people's lives. I think, I think there's been so much political, uh, political politicalization of uh of comedy um and uh you know at, at 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 some point you turn around and you're like wait a minute someone just wrote like a 1200 word think piece on <laughs> you know on somebody's on dick jokes <laughs> yeah on, on someone's you know dick jokes or uh and 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 it's like wait a minute where did we start oh it started with a comedian getting up on stage and in front of a crowd or, you know, putting something out online because they thought it would be funny. Yeah. And, you know, like, like, like the, the initial desire is to elicit that, you know, out of a, out of an audience. And I think that's something that, that it's really important to get back, you know, to get yeah. back to define. I'm not here to that. offend anyone. I'm not here to piss people off. I'm here to bring people together and make them laugh and forget about their problems. And I went through a huge transformation though, because I, I used to do comedy for myself. So I used to do it for super selfish reasons. Um, have you ever heard the phrase comedians were either either touched too much or too little? <laughs> uh, no, I like that though. <laughs> so I was touched too little. So I did it for attention and I was really attached to that. And if I had a bad set, I'd be really depressed. And if I had a great set, then I'd be really happy. So it was very conditional and very, very unhealthy and toxic. And I worked on healing myself. I went to therapy and I fixed all of that. And so now I go up and I just have a great time and I just want to make people laugh and there's no pressure. And if I have a bad set, it's okay. I mean, obviously it doesn't feel great, but it's, it's okay. And if I have a great set, then that's great too. But I really just want to make people laugh. So for me to answer your question, for me, it's been really upsetting to be considered offensive mm -hmm. or to have people awe or to have people assume malintent. I right. did a joke recently at a show, literally a week ago, I did a, a, a joke at a show and I live in a majority Mexican neighborhood in Los Angeles. And I have a lot of Hispanic material because I'm an Asian girl living in a majority Mexican neighborhood. And so I did some jokes about Mexican people, which in normally Mexican people and other Hispanics love my material and get along with it. And somebody took it as malintent that I was making, like she took one of the audience members took it as I was punching down kind of. And so I said the joke and everyone laughed. And then this woman in the audience goes wrong audience, honey. And because everybody was laughing <laughs> well, everyone was laughing but because she said that and I think people are very self-conscious of being mm. woke and being accepting of all the people around her who were all Hispanic kind of stopped laughing like they were like oh maybe we're supposed to be offended by this oh. and the rest of my set they kind of looked uncomfortable during my set and I do I, I mean I've started in the East LA comedy scene you know I've been doing all Hispanic rooms most of my career and having a very positive response. And that was the first time I think in my career that that's happened. It was very upsetting. And because she took what I was saying as punching down and not that I'm an Asian girl in within the Hispanic community. And I love it. You know, it, usually it's considered endearing. Um, you know, I, I make fun of it. I say, you know, I'm Chinita Loca and I have all sorts of stuff. And, and the woman, because she took it as offensive because, you know, that's what people that get offended do. And she made that comment very loudly and it affected the audience that was sitting around her and it was very upsetting. So I think that we do as a society need to like loosen up. And I hope that this rebirth that you're talking about is on the way because I, again, I, 
have been considered offensive the past few years in some crowds and I don't like it. Yeah. I'm not an offensive person. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's so wild. Just the, um, you know, the, the impact that like that, that one person had on the atmosphere uh, yeah. of the crowd. And then also like the, you know, with the, the issue of like punching up versus punching down, uh, I mean, and now I'm just imagining like you having to like explain like, no, actually, like I'm Vietnamese. And if you want to talk about the hierarchy or whatever this is, like, <laughs> like, you know, you guys have a country called Mexico and, you know, we had to leave our country of Vietnam, you know, or, or you know, then it, 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 it you know, I, I, I think there's material there for, I guess, like a you know, like another think piece, like, how is it that, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, punching down uh, Mexicanas versus, you know, <laughs> Vietnamese. Um, but yeah, it's just so, it's just so goofy, like trying to do like that, you know, can I get that formula? You but know, just like, the, just the intent that the woman would think that um, I was someone who would punch down it. It really, I think shows the mood of the country and yeah. like I said, the you know, I have a joke about being a bad driver. I know that's a little hacky, but I I have had quite a few car accidents and I you have are to make... actually a bad driver, which is which is yeah, that's I hilarious. I have to make fun like, of it. I have to yeah. make fun of it. I'm Asian. I'm not trying to be a hack. I know it's a hacky stereotype, but I have to make fun of it because I'm Asian and I'm a bad driver. And again, that that material has never gotten any oohs and ahs in the past. And and recently I've had people, well, you know, you can't talk about that. I've had people come up to me after you can't talk about that. I'm like, well, I am Asian and I am a bad driver. Why am I not allowed to talk about that? Well, that's offensive. That's a stereotype. Well, it's not a stereotype because I'm talking about myself and it's true right. <laughs> for me. Right. And I've been told I cannot talk about that because it's offensive to Asians. And so, oh, I mean, you should say, no, I'm a bad driver, not because I'm Asian, but because I'm a woman. Like, that's. <laughs> you know, just, I don't know. It's so wild, like man. I'm just I can't imagine being the type of like joke police, you know, who would yeah. who would you know get offended. Is it a generational thing? Like, do you notice it? Is it like younger people who are? I know, think so. So younger people I've noticed aren't getting offended, but they don't really. I don't know. So this might be not part of woke culture, but might be part of the internet culture, which someone has told me because a lot of younger people have spent their life online. And so they don't know how to interact is I've had a lot of people that don't know how or when to laugh. And I've come up to them after the show and talked to them and they find me funny, but it's like, they're so used to watching it on their phone or watching Netflix that it's like, they don't know at a live comedy show, literally how to interact. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it, but it's almost like a component of like the kids who've grown up watching pornography, not knowing like what to do when an actual real human being yeah. is in front of them. Like, <laughs> So I think that is, I haven't, this yeah, I porno haven't had, is offensive. <laughs> I haven't had that experience of people of, of younger people being offended more. So I've noticed they don't really know how or when to laugh um, wow. at a live show at a live show. And so that's really bizarre, but I have noticed, um, you know, obviously I'm a person of color, but other people of color minorities seeming to be more on guard and more offend offended and I think there's this fear since the Trump era that everyone's racist and everyone hates you all of a sudden and I think that's just silly you know I don't think I actually don't think America's a racist country um I think America's a diverse country and when there's a lot of diversity then there's conflict because there's different types of people and I think that's a positive 
yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I had, um, a, uh, a journalist on, um, on my uh, podcast, uh, the Lou Perez podcast, uh, named, uh, David Harsanyi. And he has a, um, uh, a book called Euro trash. Um, and it's great where he, I mean, he basically like kind of goes through just, you know, how crappy of a place Europe is like as a, as a content one compared to the United States. And, uh, he, it, it was shocking to, you know, hear him talk about, uh, you know, the amount of racism in Europe, you know, yeah. I mean, these, uh, the, the stuff that happens at like at soccer games is just insane. Like people, you know, you know, throwing bananas at the African players and stuff like, like stuff that just would not fly here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my, 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 my dad's from, from, uh, from Argentina he's he's a butcher we had I, I grew up in Queens we have a butcher shop a family butcher shop in Spanish Harlem you know and it's just like uh you know I think I think me like I, I'm very fortunate to have grown up with just so many different kinds of people where I know good people and bad people of, of every you know ethnicity and race and uh and and all that and maybe that made that's made it easier to for me to you know judge people <laughs> as individuals like on their character you know remember yeah. martin luther king never said don't judge people he said don't judge them by the color of their skin right he said judge them by the content of their character he said it's okay to judge people <laughs> right exactly um man all right well we are going to wrap up um cool did you want to say anything else about your book? How can people get it? How can people find out more about Lou Perez? I think I think Martin Luther King would want everybody <laughs> to read my book. You gotta read this book. <laughs> read it twice. Um, uh, yeah. Well, well, I you know I, I would say that you know I, I think you know you and I you know you know uh, performing live, uh, we both know what it's like to step onto a stage and a room is quiet. And you speak into the microphone and you make that room go from quiet to laughing. And it's a pretty cool, uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. And, and, you know, having it's like mind control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, it, uh, and it's like, Oh, where do I get this power from? Um, and uh, it's something that, that, you know, I'm really grateful that I've been able to do and that I continue uh, to do that. And uh I really want to do that with my book as well. Um, it's uh, uh, I think there's a lot of really cool stuff in here that people will enjoy. And I hope they, uh, you know, pick it up and, and uh, it, it entertains or... them and makes them. Yeah. You can get on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. They can go to the uh, Simon Schuster uh, website and it's a uh, Is that Perez. your publisher? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lou Perez, that joke isn't funny anymore on the death and rebirth of comedy. Well, I certainly hope we're in the rebirth period because the last few years of really weird people getting offended by me is just <laughs> not cool. And um, we're here. Most comedians are not here to offend and shock. Most comedians are here to make you laugh and, and, and enjoy and chuckle. And some of us are here to get a little attention once in a while. So <laughs> that's all we really care about. Huh. But I hope that people support your book. And um, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, or Rockfin, I will have all of Lou's social media links um, below in the box below. So you can check him out and follow him and support him as well. If you 
um, choose to buy the book or not. And then also, if you're listening, um, do not crash your car. <laughs> Wait until you're um, safely pulled over to check out the links as well on the website. Um, I am on Twitter at Funny Rosie. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Lou, your social medias in case people are listening and want to crash their car. Yeah, at the Lou Perez. Awesome. Everywhere. At Lou Perez. And I have to say, Lou, I have only talked to you in person and over um, audio equipment, your voice is very, very soothing and calm. And I do not feel a far right nationalist KKK (laughs) vibe at all. That's how I get all the far right ideas inside you. That's how I get all the white supremacy inside. Even though you're not white, really. Yeah, I, 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 I uh, in my book I talk about the the uh, your white light, May. white light. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> your or mocha, mocha. Your mocha, your mocha latte. Maybe I, I think I'm more latte. I think I've got more milk going on in the mocha. <laughs> all right lou thank you so much guys this has been out of the box podcast with rosie tran check us out online at out of the box podcast.com we're on itunes stitcher soundcloud everywhere you find your podcast check us out on rockfin if you're on rockfin click on the subscribe and you can get access to all of my special um content and choose me as your subscriber person um thanks guys have a great day